ultimately, I encourage people to think not just of clients as somebody you have to serve, but also as partners. Because the whole point of building a relationship with somebody is that they come back to you and they keep coming back to you. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Business Operations Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and I'm here today with Trisha Wright, who is a litigation project coordinator at Decision Quest. Trisha, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Seth. I'm so excited to do this with you today. Why don't we start? Just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, and, and your current role. Yeah, I'd love to. So I have been with Decision Quest the last couple of years. I'm a litigation project coordinator. So if you've ever seen TV shows like Bull or anything about jury research where they're doing mock trials with folks, that's what the consultants in my firm do. And I'm on the online side. So it used to be pre-COVID. All that stuff would have to be done in person. And it's very expensive. It's still very expensive for legal departments and law firms to execute these kind of projects. But with Decision Quest, the great thing about this company is that it's always on the cutting edge. And they were doing online projects way before COVID came along. So I do all of the online projects for them, coordinating everything from A to Z for them. So in an earlier conversation, you described your role as the liver of the organization, which paints a great picture. Can you explain what you meant by that? I hope it's a not a super accurate picture, but If everything goes to the liver, right, the liver is the most important, the first stage in digestion, if you know anything about anatomy. And also, people probably know it more for, okay, that's where alcohol goes to get dealt with. (laughs) But it is the beginning stage for everything. So everything from conflict checks comes through me, all of the projects that are set up, and then eventually all the way wrapping around to the end, all the way to getting things ready for invoicing and finalizing. So. I've always been really lucky in roles that I've had where I've been able to be involved or at least know what's going on at pretty much every stage of a project or matter. And luckily with our consultancy model that we have, it mirrors law firms quite well because obviously those are our main clients or law firms and legal departments. So yeah, I get to be along every stage of the way. I get to divert things where they need to go. I get to do the setup for the projects. So yeah, that's what makes me the liver. So the topic for today is about, you know, making a legal department of yes instead of a department of no, which is kind of what we talked about earlier. So with that in mind, you know, from the perspective of your role, what are some of the big organizational level mistakes or pain points that you see happening in legal that that get in the way of that? Well, usually people only think about legal or only want to think about legal when they have a problem. And obviously, I love the philosophy that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's a correct opinion. And often what happens, also because I come from litigation world, my background is heavy, heavily involved in litigation. I've seen people on their worst days, literally on their worst days. And when we think about what people are doing in organizations, I would encourage them not to leave legal to last as your last order of call, whether you're in sales or finance or IT. If the earlier that intervention the more headway you can give people, particularly in legal, you don't have to worry so much about feeling like you're slowed down or that you're getting lost in a shuffle of papers. For example, if you have a new acquisition or a new contract that you're doing and you've not worked with the client before or you need to get involved early on in an RFP process, 
give legal, especially if you have a legal ops function, which I strongly encourage everyone to have, give them the heads up and let them get involved early so that they can say, hey, this is what my pipeline looks like so that you're not waiting on them for what feels like ever. Just communicate with them proactively and set those expectations clearly and up front. And you'll have so many fewer issues with thinking that legal is your enemy. It's just, it's really not that way. Right. Well, so it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of it is just allowing for enough time for things to happen as they need to happen. So it's one of the big problems that just things get bogged down or suddenly there's a, you know, there's a five alarm fire from somebody else and they come to legal and they're like, this has to happen right away. And it's like, maybe you could have taken care of this a little bit earlier because now we have a time problem. Is that part of it? Everything illegal is what I call a cycle of feast and famine. Either you're drinking out of the fire hose or it's dry. Where I would say, for an example, is if someone in sales comes to you and says, hey, you know, we have our standard contract, but yet this client wants 8 million changes and the red line is going to take really long. You don't do that the night before you need to close the deal, (laughs) that your deadline is to close the deal. And what will often happen is the legal front door often involves sales. And what is probably the most common problem for people in legal operations is that people want to circumvent that process or think that they can jump the line or go ahead and skip to the end, either because it's a client they're familiar with or that you have a handshake deal. And unfortunately, it's 2023 and the whole handshake deal is okay thing. It does not go nearly as far as it used to. We have to be able to document those interactions. We have to be able to document what the expectation is with the client. And then also, of course, look on the liability ends for both parties. Otherwise, it's not going to be a fruitful partnership. And ultimately, I encourage people to think not just of clients as somebody you have to serve, but also as partners. Because the whole point of building a relationship with somebody is that they come back to you and they keep coming back to you. Making legal a part of that relationship early on will allow that continuity and encourage people to say, hey, they've got their stuff together. We're not having to fight on every single little thing because this amazing salesperson has included their legal function or given us a heads up as their client of what their legal functions look like. So we want to work with them more. So you spoke a little, a little bit about what they should be doing to sort of solve this. Can Do you want to round that topic out a little bit or that question out? Just to be really clear, what are some of those things that they should be doing that they aren't doing? Anything else you haven't mentioned so far? Yeah, always follow the process. Legal is all about, especially when it comes to contracts and contract lifecycle management, there is going to be, I can guarantee you, if the legal function has any level of maturity, there's going to be a very well thought out set of playbooks and rules. And then you're going to have experts there to help you along the way. And then when things do come up, also remembering to do basic things, things that we kind of think of as basic in terms of, hey, don't have 10 versions of the document saved on your hard drive. Make sure that things are centrally located, especially with legal. And people may find that kind of funny, but I've worked with many lawyers of many different types and also many corporate clients of various types. And if I could tell you the number of times people are like, just kidding, that's not the latest version of the document on me. And then had that panic at nine o'clock at night trying to figure out, okay, what are, what doing comparison and versions? I think people will probably be a little more nervous about doing that. But and that's also something I would follow the process, keep things centrally located and have those conversations early on. 
Yeah, that seemingly was a little problem solved by the cloud, but emailing the documents back when the name of the document is something final, oh, final, 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 one, two, and three, right? Final, final, final. And and, and then it's no telling like what's the actual document. And inevitably it's like... Here's just a blanket statement. When you're working with attorneys, there's no such thing as final. Don't ever label something <laughs> as final. If they have until 11.59 to file a document, you can be guaranteed that they're going to be changed. It's that it's made possible. If that door is left open, they will be making changes at 11.58 and 59 seconds. So if you ever see something that's labeled final, I'd always be a little bit suspicious of it, just naturally. <laughs> Whereas you mentioned the policies, the procedures, the operations, the workflow, the processes, all of that. So you know, that's all well and good to have. Them. Hopefully they're established and in place and they exist and have, have been documented. But what about the challenge of getting people to follow them? And you sort of have two ends, right? You have the client on one side needing to follow some things, and then you've got you know, the attorneys on the other end, and sometimes layers of attorneys, right? And everyone needs to follow these processes. How often does that work out as expected? And maybe what should we do about it? This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. The success of a process implementation and how well something is followed is largely dependent on the accountability that people are allowed to do. Now, if you have totally fake name, nobody come for me, to precious Pete who gets to circumvent the process and gets to just email something and it's called a day and gets in because that person, either they're a high sales generator or a big lead generator, that does have implications further on down the line. So I would say that always treat everyone equitably is a huge thing to come from. Anytime someone does try to circumnavigate the process, you send them back to the front and say, look, I have to do this. My hands are tied. Your hands are tied. This is what's required of us. This is how we stay out of trouble. The biggest complaint is like, oh, legal such a pain, but I don't know why we have to do this. This RFP has 300 requirements. Like, for example, if you're doing a tech acquisition or something and you're seeing all these crazy lists of requirements, somebody on the other end, say on a sales or vendor side, is going to look at that and say, this is just onerous. This is ridiculous. Versus trying to think of putting yourself in their shoes is like, okay, when you're reading that, what are they trying to protect? And if you can speak more to that in any kind of relationship, you figure out where someone's pain points are and speak to those and address those. Maybe they can give you some flexibility and some leeway in other areas. Maybe, for example, you don't have to have a perfectly executed contract every time. Maybe you can get away with an email authorization because as we've seen in the news, an emoji in the last, I don't remember when that story was, I think last six months or so, was considered a revision to a contract. So, I mean, there are some different flexibilities going on in the legal world, but the more you're willing to work with somebody and the more often you can meet their expectations, at least 80% of the time, I would say it's kind of, if you think of the Pareto principle in that way, most people are good with 80%. Like, we'll work with you if you're meeting us most of the way there. So that's what I would say for them. And speak a bit about the leadership. We've talked about this in the past. There's sort of sometimes a disconnect within leadership in understanding how things actually go on a day-to-day basis. 
and then how leaders interact with those processes, right? Whether they help enforce them by using them or, or leading and just saying, everyone, we have to follow these processes versus almost sabotaging them. As you said, maybe they feel like they're above the process. Uh, where do you see the, the leadership playing a really important part in, in getting people to adopt processes or, or not? Anytime leadership can bring visibility to the people who are doing the day-to-day work in operations, who are having to do pretty thankless jobs in a lot of ways, who are being called like the people who are gumming up the works or slowing it down, be like, hey, this person's doing a really good job. We have the processes for this reason. This is something that came down as my directive that I told this person to specifically do. Also, t- taking accountability as a leader and leading from a place of strength and saying proactively, this is my decision and I'm going to help this person at least fulfill this in a way that protects them, but also lets other people know, hey, this is directive coming from our boss that says that this is a priority of the company. And then also having other messaging from around the company saying, okay, we're all doing the same things. No one gets to be special here. We're all doing the same things and it's to preserve the company. But also understanding that those leaders, whether it's somebody as a divisional head, somebody always has somebody else to report to, right? So if they're reporting up, they're managing those relationships as well. So only taking serious issues to your leadership is important to remember not to just complain ad nauseum to them every day that so-and-so is not doing this or so-and-so is not doing that, because that's not going to create an environment that anyone wants to work in. But also taking leadership every single day as your own person. You know, my kind of school of thought on that is that everyone is a leader in some way. So if I'm sitting there and even somebody who's, maybe I just don't have the intimidation gene or something, but it's somebody senior to me and they're trying to skip the line. I'm like, if you want to do this, you're going to have to get clearance from somebody who's not me. Because obviously the hidden text is, I'm not going to put myself in jeopardy to make this special exemption for you. I don't think anyone should expect that. But yeah, always involving leadership in major changes, making sure they understand, look, especially making them understand how much time something takes. I think that's the major disconnect with what leadership understands what's going on on a day-to-day basis. You know, it may seem as simple to somebody that, oh, we're going to sign a document. It's going to take five seconds. Okay, but that's not all that goes into it. So especially if, like, for example, I've been doing documentation projects, doing them whole cloths, from nothing and making sure that once my division had seen the amount of detail and effort that goes into it, it opened their eyes to say, oh, okay, there's way more to this than clicking a button or signing a document. It's like, yeah, you have to create that visibility for yourself and then encourage your leadership to also give that visibility. And that ultimately all comes from a place of transparency. If your leadership values transparency and they value accountability, then you're in a good place to go forward with any kind of change or process implementation. So that's sort of from the leadership perspective. And then also, right, so it's about a lot of psychology in terms of setting a tone and creating a culture around things we should all do together. But what about kind of the brass tacks of it, getting people to actually do it? What are the roadblocks to that? I mean, is it training? Is, you know, know, what is the actual practical thing that can get in the way of everyone in an organization working on the same processes together? It's always time and priorities. People make time for the things that they find important, period. Anytime someone says they're too busy for something, what that is actually saying is, I'm too busy to do this or this is not important to me. So once you understand what people don't prioritize, 
then you can, if you know that, hey, this person is going to send random emails about something and expect you to respond right away versus you sending the email reply back that said, hey, this needs to go through this process. This is where you need to start. And when you're on the brass tacks every day, it's a lot of repetition. And, you know, you have to be patient with people and meet people where they're at. You're going to have somebody who literally has to just be reminded every single time, whether it's because they only do this one particular mechanism once a month and it's not on their day-to-day plate or it's just something that you know that this person struggles with technology. So once you understand what people's priorities are and then meet them where they're at with the training and only distilling down. So like I have different training for each person I train with, right? Because you're targeting it to your audience. If I know somebody is really easily overwhelmed by technology, when I'm sitting with them to do a tech training, for example, I am only telling them the buttons that they need to worry about. And we're having screenshots and I'm going to give them extra help with remembering where those are at. Versus if I know somebody who's pretty tech savvy, I know I can take them through a few different layers and explain to them why or how. But it's all about knowing your people and knowing what their tolerance for change is. I call it a, a constitution for change. It's high or low, depending on where you're at at any given day, at any given minute. But just meet people where they're at if they need reminders. You know, that's part of the job. And just always understand it's never anything personal. It's not that they're trying to make your life difficult. It's that, look, they got other stuff going on. They don't do this on a daily basis. They're not living it the way you are. And just remember to give people grace as much as you can. It's not easy, by the way. It's really not. I make it. If that made it sound easy, it's really not because it's like, oh, I've told you about this six times in the past week. It totally gets frustrating. And sometimes you do have to have like a full stop in that relationship and say, hey, we need to go back and retrain on this. I had this happen not all that long ago where it was obviously something had broken down and this person's recollection was like, okay, we're going to pause. We're going to have a moment that's just us off privately and let's do more one-on-one time on this and retrain on it. But yeah, it takes patience, which, you know, some of us are not blessed with great amounts of, but we work on it. That's right. Well, and you know, when it comes to the tech, right, legal is a field that is historically reticent to change generally, particularly like right with tech adoption. How have you seen that play out, you know, in terms of it's okay, it's time to add to the tech stack. Where some of the resistance come Does it seem like each new piece of tech is a new challenge or is it always the same challenge every time? That's a great question. To me, it's always kind of the same challenge every time. And I think it ultimately goes to the fact of going back to the time people have and the priorities they place on certain elements of their day. And ultimately, if you're going to either you're changing systems or you're adding elements to that, there are some things people want to know. What additional stuff do I got to do? How is that affecting my day? And what am I getting out of it? Are we getting new functionality? Are we getting an ability to generate reports? And I find particularly in the legal field that, and there was actually a Bloomberg report about this um, earlier this year, people are collecting data, but they don't really know why they're collecting that data and they're not collecting the right information either. So that's probably why it's gotten a bad rap over over time is that, you know, people are just collecting so much and asking you to do more and more data entry rather than the cool stuff that you came to do for them. And it's like, okay, but you're getting all this information and not doing anything with it. So 
that's why I like to take a hands-on approach with design myself. I really like to get down into the config and specs and make sure, okay, we have this extra button. Do we absolutely need it? We have this extra column. What is that telling us? Is there any other way to get that so that there's less clutter on the interface? What information are we giving to people? I don't want to just collect it for us. Is each consultant getting their level of information? Is it able to be distilled and can they get other analytical insights of it? And then you can make that case for them of like, look, before you were getting emails every week asking for where's your progress update on this project? Where's the budget at? Not knowing what kind of money you're bringing in and if it's meeting up to what your estimated projections are, that's a big problem for businesses. But also if you are an attorney, especially if you're an associate or more junior level attorney, you want to know what your impact is, right? So if I can tell you that by doing these couple extra steps of data entry up front, or at least giving disclosing that information up front, and then I can give you out of that, okay, this is how much of your time you're spending here. I can give you information about your utilization. I can help you know what leads you still have outstanding people to follow and who to follow up with. Do you need an extra body on a project? Sure. I know who to go to because everyone's filling out the same information. And then, of course, all your financials and everything else. Okay, where are your leads coming from? Where should you lean into? Is there a territory that's better for you? All that kind of stuff that they're now able to have because they gave me four or five additional pieces of information up front when they submitted their contract. Like, that's a no-brainer for people when you're able to lay it out for them. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm pivoting a little bit to more of the, the personal part. What is the best advice you've ever received in your career? Always be curious. Always be curious. Always be open. It's why that I don't get hung up on being a specialist. I don't see myself as a specialist. I don't know that I'd ever want to be considered a specialist. I love being a generalist and being able to bring in all these different random experiences that I've had over a career in legal and just in life and bring them all together and give somebody something that they'd never thought of before. We were talking about that earlier of like different stories and just being able to think differently um, and not being afraid of thinking differently and putting voice to that. So I would always just say, be curious. If it's something that sounds cool, I'm all for it. If it sounds cool, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? oh no, it blows up and you have to scrap it. You still got something valuable for that experience. Sure enough, I, I love that answer. Curiosity is one of my core values, it turns out as well. One of the things that they teach good journalists to be curious, keep asking questions. I think it's a sign of intelligence personally, but I guess I'm a little biased towards that. Well, it's also you show interest in other people, right? Like when you're like, oh, Susan is doing this cool project. Let me see if I can get on with it. Or I think that's really cool. Tell me more about it. People always respond. It's a great way to build and sustain relationships is to be curious about what people are doing and offer help. Be like, I don't know anything about this, but I'd love to get in on it and just see what you're doing. People love that. Absolutely. Before we go, is there anything you want to share or plug about yourself or your company? And if people want to get a hold of you, how could they do that? The best way to get a hold of me is through LinkedIn. You can search for Trisha Wright. It's LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Trisha dash right. I've made sure to change it so that people can find me easily. Look for things that are pink. Usually that's where I will tend to be on LinkedIn. It's very pink. If you are interested in working with any of our consultants here, or if you're interested in learning more about, especially 
for legal in-house legal departments. Understanding more about pre-litigation consulting and case evaluation can really help you out with that. Also, would love to do more podcasts, would love to do more panels and collaborate with people. Always down for that. And yeah, just look for more things. I'm kind of here, there and everywhere. Excellent. Trisha Wright, thank you so much for your time and expertise. Thank you so much, Seth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community.